This is Gam Chat. My name is Greg. I'm McCoy. And I'm Dee. We're three Filipino gay guys trying to make sense of anything and everything in the world today. Welcome to our podcast. So how are you guys doing, Greg? Uh, I'm doing I'm doing pretty good actually. Um, this week I made Toron with my my auntie, so she showed me the steps like one two three steps. So it okay, she good. she showed you, but you didn't really make it. You were just watching her. Well, uh, well, I was filming her. That counts. Yeah. So okay, so you didn't make anything except for the wait wait the, the, the video. McCoy, the most important question is, did you or did you not put jackfruit in it? <laughs> So she has a new recipe where she puts jackfruit okay, in Okay, good. That's, that's all not... that matters to me. Okay. That's how you should be making your Theron, right? With jackfruit. Yes. Yeah. I feel like that dollar twenty-five is not worth it if there's no jackfruit in it. <laughs> <laughs> is that a how much it goes for? <laughs> right? I agree with that. So that jackfruit makes uh makes all different. She has a new recipe that she's trying out where she mashes actually the jackfruits. She cuts a jackfruit and the bananas in tiny pieces and then cooks it that way and then rolls it into like almost like a mash into like uh the the, the lumpia wrapper wait why is she like deconstructing like uh <laughs> like a staple recipe or whereas that's new i've never heard anyone doing that yeah i think she was just trying to experiment because since we're so in quarantine uh, she hasn't been out and she's scared of plants because they might make her sick she thinks that there's viruses in the trees so <laughs> i know bless her um so she was trying to experiment with the run so that's what i did this week and um, it was pretty good it, no not pretty good it was hella good it was crunchy a nice crunch to it how about you d um i think i texted you guys right after i watched it i finally got to see lingua franca by isabel sandoval and I, I was just raving. Every one that I can text, I had to re-download Instagram just to post a story and then delete it afterwards <laughs> again because it was amazing. It was like one of those movies that, you know, you know how they would show in Glendale, like the Filipino movies. And I've kind of yeah. like hesitantly yeah. been dragged to go watch a couple of them. And it's, it's like pretty much on par uh, with my expectation. But this movie was something that I've never seen created uh, you know, brought out here. Cinematography is great. The pace of the stories. Um, I don't want to say slow because that has, you know, it might sound negative, but it's done in that manner with a purpose. Yeah. And the storyline was not, you know, it's not exaggerated to make you feel bad for her. It was just what it is. It, it, it's mm. very realistic. Well, what's this? What's the storyline? Okay, so Lingua Franca is about a trans Filipina caregiver based in New York, Brooklyn, and it was her struggle as an undocumented immigrant. So her journey on how to be legalized, and uh, basically she was caring for an elder Russian lady, and she built a relationship with her grandson. So it's just that journey. You know me, like aesthetics-wise, the cinematography, the way it was edited, the colors, uh, it was just really something that I needed to see, especially coming from like a Filipino filmmaker. Is it a, based on a true story? Because it sounds like a real story. It's not a true story, but I think she did some like work on uh, researching, really interviewing undocumented uh, caregivers herself, and then her journey as a, a, a trans woman as well. So it's it's definitely worth watching. And for it to be picked up on Netflix, she's been in so many film festivals and it's gotten great reviews. So I'm really pushing everyone to see it. Lingua Franca by Isabel Sandoval. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. I haven't watched it yet, but I definitely will. And I got your multiple texts. Yes. <laughs> I was like, what is D going through? <laughs> it was an emotional but, roller coaster. Uh, yeah, no. But yeah, it was good. I think I, I I'll definitely watch that one. And yeah, that story. I think we need more filmmakers out there telling those stories. Um, how about you, McCoy? What have you been? How are you doing? Well, I saw it last night. It was yeah, it was really good. I can I can see what he's talking about. It's really good. But my week, you know, busy. I guess not. I guess it was busy. I learned how to play mahjong Friday night. You just learned how to play mahjong? Yeah, because we don't we never did that. Baby mahjong, as in like no like. R- 
matching computer mahjong or like the the no no like actual like actual tiles and oh shit wait wait yeah Yeah. baby you know how like they have that computer game where you're just like matching like oh character character one one like yeah i mean wait a minute so i know how to play mahjong so i learned to know play mahjong before you did well because my mother was a was a working woman so she had no time to be doing that so uh, excuse me, my mom was a working woman twenty four seven. Don't don't deny that. Okay, uh, crazy rich Asian. <laughs> what is that? Is that what you are? Like, I wish it was crazy rich Asian. It was completely not. My mom worked twenty four seven. I didn't learn mahjong till later on because my mom did not want to teach us it because it was always associated to gambling. Yeah. Yeah, my mom so, was, was religious when I was young, so she would not have done that anyway. And she wasn't the gambling type, so. And then what do you think of Mahjong? It's fun. It's like playing cards, but not really cards. I think that's a that's an intricate part of the elder community in the Philippines. Mm-hmm, yeah. Because I see it now. It keeps you sharp. That gets your brain going and thinking. Like right now, we still play that is true. within yeah. our family. And my in-laws, they can get to that point where they don't have to look at the pieces and just feel it. Just, yeah, just and, feel it. And, you know, you it. see yeah. that glow in their face. It's like, yeah. <laughs> so it really gets you going. They need they need to keep it up. Yeah, I agree. Like, I thinking about all the parties I went to, all the titas that were playing mahjong, they were so sharp. And they were like, so who taught you how to play? Just some family friends. They just, they, they brought their, their tiles. And is that what it's called? Tile? I'm not yeah. sure. Uh, so they brought their mahjong set and... We set up a table and they just and I, I watched like the first three sets and then I jumped in. So yeah, it was it was fun. It's it's for the most part it's easy to learn if you really pay attention. We should do a mahjong day. We should. Park. But we need one more individual. <laughs> oh, you can't do three? No, it has to be four. No, you need oh, four. It has to be four. I okay. Cool. I have, I have well Amado can set. join. I don't think he's that good. I, I know someone else. Too. Yeah. Okay. Actually, what have else have sets. I been doing? Let's invite one of our listeners to be our the fourth person of number one <laughs> picnic. Oh, I realized something about my coming out story that I neglected to mention when we did that episode. I think my mind just blocked it out, I guess. So when I moved back from New York when I was 19, I was only in New York for like six months. I was staying at my sister's apartment in Burbank. In that, that apartment, a lot of people went in and out. It was like the place to like hang out. And I guess I went out somewhere. I, I think I went to work. So I came home and I had my little date planner, which I never really used to plan anything. I just had my pictures and all that stuff in there. Someone looked through it because it was closed. It was folded, not in a way I left it. And I have a couple of love letters from whoever I was dating back then Aww. in there. And they read it. They read the letter because even the letters were unfolded correctly. So I felt like, shit, I have to come out to someone. I have to beat them to it before they tell people about me. So I told my cousin's girlfriend at the time, wife now, she was the only one I felt like I could come out to. So I came out to her and she was like, oh, you know, so it turns out people, they were talking about me behind my back already. They were like speculating if I was gay or not because no one in my family knew. Some of my friends did, but not, no one in my family knew before then. So yeah, so I guess I was kind of outed. Like, well, I came out, but I felt like I had to to my family. But don't you hate that? Because everyone... It, like, I wanted to... Everyone yes. else pretty much knew. I, I had to come out on my terms. Yeah. But it's like, I wish they kind of just... I, I don't know. I think in my side of the story, I would appreciate it more if they just told me, like, hey, um, you're gay. When are you going to come out? I'm like, oh, okay. Like, so everyone knows. Oh, no. They were they were speculating. They, yeah, they were talking behind my back. And some people were saying, no, he's not gay. He just, you know, maybe he just had too few girlfriends or... He just likes penis a lot. <laughs> oh, little did they know. I was already very active then. Yeah, they were like, maybe it's just a tip. That's all. <laughs> it was just... <laughs> just a tip? Is that what you just said? <laughs> <sighs> anyway, um, so that was my week. So you had a flashback. I did. Like, I was about to go to bed. I'm like, oh my god, I never mentioned that. I made it see- sound like my coming out was, like, very smooth. No, I was like, I was forced to come out. <sighs> and then a few later, a few years after that, I was outed at work. By you? But you were... <laughs> no. Yeah, by yourself? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> by your reflection? No, You're I like, oh was... Um, I was... I was working with a friend's mother. Not on purpose. We just happened to, like, work at the same place. And they were asking about something about 
going out, where to go out, if you want to go to like a gay club or something. We were having like a department lunch. And she was like, oh, you should ask Mark. He would know. And everyone looked at me like, you're gay? And I was like, yeah. I just never said anything because no one ever asked. But I didn't want to be outed like that. But that's fine. It's oh, my God. Past. It just dawned on me who you're talking about. And I just like... <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't I don't I I don't hold that against her. She didn't know any better. She probably thought I was out, so because I was friends with her with her son. So yeah. Okay, that's a side story. I don't know what any of that story is. But was, <laughs> so speaking of coming out, let's talk about today's topic on our podcast. Um coming out for Black Lives Matter. How about that one? I feel like you know that this day and age like you almost like the the big topic that's on everyone's mind is is black lives matter but not only that but for do you support black lives matter yeah support and also do you really understand the movement because it it i have to admit i didn't get to to understand the movement right away i had to go through a process and that's what i do when it comes to issues that are very difficult um i have to think about it i have to digest it and i have to come out on the other end hoping to understand the issue based from my experience and how i i see it just a quick recap of black lives matter and the movement Um, as of august 30th 2020 um, black lives matter i believe it started in 2013 but it was in direct response to the acquittal of trayvon martin who was a young black teenager who was murdered um and uh, the murderer uh, got away as a as a as he said it was defense um and then we had 2014 with mike brown who was also murdered by a ferguson police officer we had another murder in new york um of a black man who was in chokehold and he suffocated and now more recently there was another death of um, Jacob Blake, who is 29 years old, who was shot by the police seven times, and currently he is in the hospital and remains in the hospital. He might be paralyzed. We don't know all the facts yet. And also, there's countless other stories of of you know black people who've been killed by police officers. Um, another one is Brianna Taylor, who was in her home and the police had a no-knock search warrant, uh, which means they could break into your house and go through your stuff without announcing that they are police or to identify that they are police. And her boyfriend at the time had a legal firearm and grabbed, thought they were getting broken into, grabbed the gun and started firing back because the police did not identify themselves. And the police just started shooting up this woman's home or her apartment or a condo. And she did die there. She was shot on multiple times. And so from these cases of people in the black community getting killed by police officers or violently hurt by police officers, and a lot of times they are unarmed when they get killed. Um, and, and it's just an ongoing incidents that keep happening these incidents keep happening all over the united states and the black lives movement is in direct response to that so now we're seeing demonstrations from all throughout the country the globe i think there was demonstrations even in the philippines parts of asia new zealand in the uk Uh, they have painted black lives matter in various cities on the streets even in front of donald trump's property his building so that's just a really quick recap, and I don't think it does it justice to really encapsulate what's going on in the community. But it's something, I think, in the U.S. that we don't talk about as much as we really should. Uh, but racism in the United States, systemic racism, has been going on since the founding of this country, let's be honest. So how do you guys feel about what's going on? I, it's selfish for me to say that I am exhausted by it emotionally. I can only do my part as um, an ally. I can back it up financially if I can. I can correct anyone and explain to them what the movement really means. But it does get exhausting because, I mean, we just had one, you know, before... Jacob Blake 
was Breonna Taylor. And it's only been weeks and we had another one. And it's like, it's almost that when you're a kid and your parents are teaching you that lesson you should have walked away with should still stick to you weeks, months, hopefully a year later. But it's hard to fathom that it's happening again. It's like, what is it that was missed from the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, tenth person? I don't even know what number we are right now, but what was missed that we cannot walk away and have learned from that situation? That right now, a 29-year-old is in the hospital who was shot seven times. Uh, by the time we are recording this right now, he he was barely, his handcuffs was barely taken off because he was hospitalized and still handcuffed while unresponsive. So, you know, I don't know where the disconnect is. I'm having a hard time. And I don't know if it's just me who's able to see that. I think a lot of people are able, but I question why others can't see that that is such a wrong thing to do. McCoy, your thoughts? Emotionally, well, it's emotionally draining, actually, um, from my point of view. It seems like every year there's something you hear on the news over and over and over to the point that I, I kind of got numb because it's like you were expecting it. So, I don't know. Exhausted emotionally. George Floyd, uh, who really set off the most recent demonstrations um, during the pandemic, died in Minneapolis by police officers. And there was footage of him calling out to his mom or telling him he can't breathe. And you know, my first, I was thinking about this. My first instinct was, um, after seeing the footage, I was uh, honestly a little jaded, unfortunately, because this happens so many times. And we as Americans, like, we shouldn't be, or anybody, whether you're American or not, born here or not, like, anytime when a human being asks for help, there is no justice that says it's okay to take someone's life. And when he was kneeling on his neck, uh, which is what, took his life and he couldn't breathe for so many minutes i think it, it's just shocking and then you you add that to this pandemic that's going on and being stuck inside and feeling that you are helpless so i was i was really proud that the movement of black lives matter that people went to the streets even during the pandemic because life is life you know and it's a value it's upsetting and I think that being shell- stuck in place really kind of was like the, almost the last straw for many Americans to say enough is enough. I think besides feeling exhausted, it really is the, more of feeling helpless. Like I'm angry. Yeah. I'm angry and I feel like there's nothing that can be done until the whole system is revamped. But then where do you start? You know, and I, I'm like dreading the news of like, Who's the, who's next? And you know when is the headline gonna? You know another black person was shot. Um, it's almost expected, and I feel bad saying that. Yeah, it's 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 so it shouldn't be a norm. Yeah. Um, people, black men and black women, even black children, shouldn't live in a society where they have to grow up with the talks of when you get pulled over by a police officer, here's what you need to do. That should not be acceptable. And so I'm. You know, I'm really glad that the Black Lives Matter movement is still moving. Um, Recently, there was a big 50,000 protesters showed up to D.C. to say enough's enough. I think that is moving in itself to see or to even like witness on TV. So on that note, let's take a quick break and we'll come right back. Alright guys, so how do we explain Black Lives Matter as Filipinos into our community? What's your thoughts? Well, for me, I had to first understand the movement. And the only way I could do that was to understand it from my point of view as a Filipino gay man. 
And I remember in 1998, there was Matthew Shepard who was beaten, tortured, and left for dead. And he eventually died a few days after that. And you know, all this people saying all lives matter and all that. That's the way I kind of looked at it. It's like, if that happened, if that happened, okay, that happened in 1998. And if, let's say, we went out in the streets to protest and we demanded and we said, you know, LGBTQ lives matter. And someone told me, well, all lives matter. I'm like, yes, but you're not being beat to death. You're not being harassed. You're not being discriminated against. And I want to be clear. I'm not saying the LGBT rights movement is the same as Black Lives Matter. I'm not saying that. It was just my way to understand Black Lives Matter. And I got to a point where I'm like, oh, I get it now. Because they are being discriminated against. They are being attacked and beaten and murdered. So that was my way to understand it. And so if someone was to ask me, that's the way I would explain it. And hopefully they can understand it. I think just people forget. They forget to put their, their themselves in someone else's shoes. Yeah. You know, it's, I feel like it's so simple. It's like, do you believe that black lives matter? Yes or no? Yeah, right? But they, and but they, they will counter with... No, well, there's nothing to counter. Matter. There's nothing to counter, in my opinion. It's just... Um, if you're asking someone, do black lives matter, period, mm-hmm. it's either yes or no. And and when people say all lives matter, it's like, no, that's not what we're talking about here. Do black lives matter? Yes or no. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. let's be very clear about this. Statistically, facts, the data, it shows that people in the black community are targeted unfairly, are risking their lives um, just by being pulled over more so than any other group in the United States. Like there's, it's, that's the fact. Yeah. And it's, I get so heated and upset when they say all lives matter. That's not even, we're not even talking about that, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's not about you. It's about the black community and where do we stand and support them? You know? Yeah. Like, do you think that's okay? That statistically that if you have darker skin or that you're black that if you get pulled over there are chances there's a higher chance that you will be killed even though that you're unarmed even though that you are not committing a crime Mm -hmm. you know we have a court system and a judicial system for a reason not in the hands of a cop what's your thoughts d I gravitate more towards that the fact that this is really deeper than what the underlying of what Black Lives Matter is. Mm-hmm. In all honesty, it's it's systemic racism. And by systemic, we know that it's been the ground has been laid that the black community is always uh disproportionately underprivileged and characterized mm-hmm. as, as something else compared to the majority. And uh, for us, as another set of minority to just sit back and watch and not do anything actively is really, um, you shouldn't maybe look at it this way, but it might help you to see how big the gap is that if us Filipinos, a smaller percentage of the Asian minority group, just sit back there and watch what happens to, I don't know what the percentage of the black community is here in the U.S. compared to everything, you know, as the entire population. But I'm presuming that they're way higher than the Asian community, even the Latino yeah. community. If that group of that amount of people is affected neg- negatively and treated unfairly, what more will happen to us as a smarter minority yeah. group. And that shouldn't convince you to even act up because it, you know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't, that shouldn't be your incentive to ask like, oh, what happens, you know, if this bigger group is affected, what else can happen to us? But maybe if you can wake up and see that that is a possibility. Yeah. Well, I, I see your point um, because there was a part of me where I thought like, oh, I don't know if this is my battle. Um, but at the same time, it really is because I'm a person of color. And like you said, um, they are a bigger chunk of the population and even they are being discriminated against. I mean, what like, like you said, like what, what more with us? So I think we have to stand with them because it's also our battle. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It, 
you know, like how we treat the black community it really defines who we are as Americans, you know? And I think in any country that you may live in, how you treat others defines how what the country you live in or, or your values, right? And you know, yeah, I agree with you. This is clearly more his- systematic racism that has long been part of the fabric of the United States, you know, from from Native Americans to slavery to, you know, denying loans to the black community and people of color in the United States, starting from like the 50s and 40s and 30s, targeting Japanese Americans. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, downtown Los Angeles had mass lynchings of Chinese right in downtown LA. And they were men and boys that were hung. If we're going back to this something more recently, we can use... Um, coronavirus, COVID-19, as an example, when Asian Americans were being targeted as the cause for the coronavirus spreading. I mean, I did not feel safe walking around with a mask with an obviously Asian feature. I did not feel safe. But this is why I'm wondering why our community can't sympathize or at least even empathize that hey this is something that they are experiencing based on the color of their skin yeah it's become a target right away but we can't switch that light on to see that oh this must be how it feels to just wake up being black and have that stigma that it is attached to you you haven't even said a word you just stepped out of your door and, you know, we can't see that that's something that they can change. And they're being targeted just for that. And that's happened for generation after generation. It just hasn't really stopped for them. For anyone, really. I mean, they target yeah, that's true. immigrants. Yeah. They target people of color in the United States. And I think what gives it more power more recently, just like how when the civil rights um, were uh, protests were happening is that we are filming it and that we are acknowledging it and you can't hide around hide it when for example when they filmed george floyd his murder right um we've been used we could see it and we've now we are sharing stories about our experiences with it and you know as as far as asian americans are concerned like when we start marching with the black community and supporting them our lives get better right? The black community has made so many strides that affect everyone, including Asian Americans. Actually, that we benefited from. Yeah, Yeah. we benefit from the black community. We can't consume their culture and then turn away when we see something happen to them. You cannot cheer for the Lakers. You cannot cheer for the NFL teams. You know, you can't cheer for Pacquiao and Mayweather and, you know, pay your money and, and then not do anything when they need our help. Because then what you're doing is picking and choosing. Uh, uh, really, it is what convenience to you. Yeah. You know, so, so that's the thing. It's like we, they, their culture have been monetized. Um, a fashion industry has capitalized it. But when it comes to the times that we really need, they need us to be there with them, it's like, oh, okay, I'm just going to dust my hands and walk away and be a spectator. And that's something that especially the Asian community cannot do. Growing up, I've heard going going to a, a somewhat diverse uh, school, uh, you know, I've heard Asians, um, not just Filipinos, use the n-word and it's it's like okay so you felt compelled to use that word but where are you at now you were so proud to say that you have no right to say that to begin with because that is not yours to reclaim but now that things have elevated to certain things where are you now as a person who's consumed their culture for your enjoyment oh yeah no that's absolutely true I think um, 
all we really can do is try to explain the issues the best way we can and try to find a way where they can relate it to their own experience. But you can't really control what people are going to think and what people are going to feel. All you can control is you and what what you can say about the issue. So I'm not really sure. I think that we could continue to bring up these topics. I know that younger generations are fighting with their parents about this matter. Yeah. Because we're seeing older Filipino parents or Asian parents not understanding the significance of this movement and why it's so crucial that we stand by, stand with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, I know people are having arguments about it and it's really hitting a core um, in our community, unfortunately. Um, you know, for me, like my mom unders, uh, it depends. <laughs> so like, I'm, I can't speak for her, but you know, she understands that. And how I explained it to her was, you know, when I reminded her when the when the Watts Watts riots in Los Angeles happened, when the black community fought back and they rioted in their in a community that they couldn't even buy any property in, when they stood up. That led the way for my own family to buy property in Los Angeles for the very first time because they were not allowed to because they were Filipino. And they bought a house by Lermert Park. They're one of the very first minorities in that area. But that was because of of the community, the black community that and their and their actions that took. And you know, when I explained it to my mom, she said, Oh, yeah, like there's like there's a cause and effect. And when we stand by together as one, you know, and just think that we're better off. One of the ways that I think we can combat this is really make it relatable for our community. Uh, just like how racism, we've said it, it's systemic. It's something that's been deep-rooted, almost built. I don't want to say almost. It's built into the foundation of what made this country. Unfortunately, yes. I use the tool of colorism within our own culture mm -hmm. to kind of break down what that is uh you know if you have seen me or any of you have seen me i am not one of those light-skinned filipino and i have always been told as a kid oh don't play outside you're gonna get dark you know you're gonna get this yeah. and i wish and back then you know sorry to be to take this lighthearted, but back then cancer was not a thing <laughs> their, their their concern was like, oh, you're going to get melanoma or skin cancer. That was not the thing. That's not why they were cautioning me. It's because they think that you being melanated will, for some reason, uh, take away advantages mm -hmm. for you when you grow up as an adult. Yeah, And that also has, I mean, we have Bluta products, pills, lotions, soap, people inject themselves to gain that lightness in hopes that I don't know when they inject you, does that automatically put a direct deposit in your bank account? I don't know what that means, but it's associated that when you are light, you are able to get away with things and you are more advantaged in the community. And that's one I think we have to tackle first in the community. We have to work on what we have in our community before we can even go go out there. I think it's one of the contributing factors of people in our community not fully embracing the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, I agree with you. Like, as I think, you know, someone once told me, you know, everybody wants to be white adjacent. <laughs> and so... I think that even our own, the culture of being colonized and the idea of lighter skin is somewhat guarantees you privilege or guarantees you a way out from dealing with the harsh realities of, of treating people equally. Like, you know, it's, it's bullshit. I mean, I'm light skinned and I've always was so irritated when I got special privileges based on the lightness of my skin or even like the bone in my nose. Like that irritates me. And, you know, I, I maybe so maybe that's one of the reasons why people in our community are like, well, I'm a light skinned Filipino. I don't have to, I don't have to deal I with mean, this. I mean, I know the core of where being darks, darker 
as compared to financial stability. You know, the dark, you know, back then, if you're darker, meaning you're working in the fields, you're working in the sun, so you were doing manual labor compared to anyone who's not exposed and is sitting pretty in a balcony. You know, um, I understand where that comes from, but I think it's there's been so many years that we've proven that that's your the the color of your skin does not equate to your financial stability or your status or what you can contribute as a person in a community, and in I think that's one thing that we I I am working on myself to that whenever I come across anyone that has that mentality to not just correct them, but to, to explain to them, hey, that's not, you know, that's not the only way to do. Yes, you can be concerned that, oh, you're going to get skin cancer. I don't want you to get sick. Fine. But if your reasoning behind this, it's just going to get just dark because of what to, to no advantage. That's when I just kind of step in and correct them. Yeah. I mean, I've always hated that narrative. Like, you know, like, oh, if you have darker skin, you work on the field and you have lighter skin. I'm like, mm-hmm. You know, it's 2020, motherfuckers. Like, can we end that narrative for once and for all? Um, <sighs> but it's just so ingrained in the culture. Um, yeah, so I mean, like, okay, I'll speak for myself. Um, I want to make it clear that if they decide to get those injections or whatever, that's their personal, you know, choice. Um, I'm not going to judge them for that. But um, I think we just have to change our mindset but it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, I agree. It, you know, you make me think about this. Like, you know, parents want their kid to be safe, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really sad to even, like, say this. It, I feel like some parents are in that old school narrative thinking that their kid will be safer if they just have lighter skin. And I think that in, you know, talking about colorism, like, I know people in all communities when their skin is lighter, they have this false reality that maybe that they'll just be safer. Maybe that they won't get hurt, but that's not the world that we should be living in still. Like we shouldn't take that old narrative and bring it to now. But that mentality puts you in a bubble though. Like all you can do is protect your kid by telling them what to do and not to do. The bigger picture is that what do you yourself as a person can do to the community so your kid doesn't have to worry about that Hmm. you know what i'm saying i think that's how we should approach it because you putting your kid in a bubble like oh i'm gonna keep my say my child safe by sheltering them as much as i can does not do anything when that child is out there in a world without your guidance the way you should work on this is that how do you as a parent do something now so that way that action that you did echoes and is amplified later on that they don't have to worry about what your worried was from day one. Mm. Yeah, and let's be clear. Like, so Reagan's the one who created this whole idea of model minority. And let's be clear here: being quiet and being this role model and saying shut doesn't work. They in the United States they put Japanese Americans in internment camps, took their land, took all their properties. Didn't work for them. And. We didn't see it with, you know, we saw it with the Chinese as well, too. You know, um, hate and discrimination still permeate through the U.S. So being silent and being quiet to be this myth of a model minority is, is, is simply just a myth. And maybe that's what our parents think, you know, like maybe that's what like the titas and, and uncles think. Like if they just keep quiet and they vote Republican then this will all just go away. I think maybe they just want to, they want their kids to assimilate um, so they have less issues in this, in American society. But I think that's misguided. That's very misguided because assimilation is something is you getting used to and conforming to what's current. And that's not what the current issue is right now. Times are changing. We have now learned that inequality is real. So we need to assimilate to that. I know what you mean. It's like people um, forget to evolve um, with the times and they get stuck in their old ways. Yes. Here, here. I mean, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I'm like, you know, (laughs) it's fine. You know, you're hitting so, don't apologize because you're hitting so many poignant points in this discussion that just really hits home. And 
you know, I almost feel like the United States is at this precipice of we are more informed than any generation before us. We have information and we have data more than any time in the history of human civilization, right? And we have access to it. And they're all saying that this way of thinking, this living in this Asian bubble or this Asian American myth is simply not true. And it doesn't help your kids in the long run. It doesn't make a better society. Is there any, do you have any other thoughts on this? You brought up a lot of really good points, D. Like, yeah, D, you're like really <laughs> just honest to goodness, like points that I think that our community just doesn't want to. If I can just kind of bring, if I can just bring us back, to be honest, you know what sparked this? Um, Greg, we've worked on a lot of projects before, and this opened up a few doors for me. I was able to do a um, a freelance job with. Um, an API group in downtown LA. And one of the speakers that they had was Melina Abdullah. And she was the very, you know, she's one of the founders for Black Lives Matter LA. And to me, I was like, you know me, if I have a crush, it's not like because of someone's looks or physicality, it's like no matter what gender they are, it's the capacity of their brain, their creativity. And I was gushing over her to the point where I was like taking pictures, tagging her and the photos that I've taken for that event. And she really just opened up my eyes. And I think that's what it took for me is to hear firsthand on their experience. This woman will do anything that she can for her community. And, you know, she I, I got to give her credit for opening my eyes with with the things that's happened in the black community and not just that, that she was backing up the Asian community to wake us up and see like, hey, we're working with you and we hope you would work with us too. Tell us about what she said that really woke you. It, um, it's the basics. It's pretty much what I know now. It really is that the inequality has been instilled and it's that we needed to wake up and see that. And with her working with the API community, it wasn't a cry for help. It was just more of like, hey, wake up. This doesn't just affect the black community. You know, if we just, just sit still, what is our contribution of being here? It's almost like a rite of passage that for you to belong in this country, you have to do something. Mm-hmm. And it isn't just as simple as you taking a test and paying fees. It, it really is that you have to contribute for the country to move forward in a better space. What is your contribution as a person? Knowing the facts that are handed to you in prints at the tip of your fingers and your, whenever you scroll through things in your feed, like what are you doing to change that? Yes, we can all keep on posting things, but you have to do things beyond that in your daily actions when you come across someone apply that you can't just like hit send and then forget and shove everything else that you processed prior to posting that you have to have integrity as a person that to carry out things that you are saying and not just leave it at social media for everyone else to see yeah i think you hit it spot on d i think that this is such an important time in history. Um, and like where, or what actions are you going to take to stand up? Cause we're facing a lot right now in the U S we have a pandemic. We have a president that has honestly has done tactics that are not representative of what the U S is and, um, and have been attacking black lives matter protesters even have been shooting black, 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 at these protesters and we hold them in such value it's like and we are really pushing the line of like when do we stand up and when do we go out and what actions can we possibly take to say enough is enough i mean this is really what black lives matter is movement is is like saying enough is enough this is not acceptable of how you treat others and where is the asian american the filipino american community going to stand with me, I felt like I had to start with myself. And that's my way of contributing to the betterment of society is so I could understand the issues better. And in that way, I can support the movement. 
It's, um, McCoy, you you were you suggested that like um there was a workshop right for Asian Americans, of how to talk to your your Asian parents about this matter. Yeah, there was a podcast. I think it was stories by Sapphire Sapphire Sandalo. I think is her name, and she did an episode on her podcast about that. She had a guest, um, and I thought that was very interesting. Did you learn anything? Or is there any insight that you learned? Yes, but. I think that was about religion, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I have to look back. But it's more like find a way, find a specific way to make your parents understand something. So, But you also have to listen to where they're coming from so you can understand the whole issue based from their point of view. And then try to find a way to make it personal to them so they can understand. Because you can tell them this and that. But if you are try if you if you don't fully understand where they're coming from, you may not agree. But you have to try to see it from their eyes. That way, you can kind of um, calibrate your message so that they would understand. Yeah, we should uh, add that to the show note. Any other resources specifically for Asian Americans to have these conversations? I think that we're all struggling with it, you know. And I think it it hurts when you hear someone say, you know, like. That don't understand that Black Lives Matter, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Or not even like the movement, just like that that their lives matter for some, you know, and like yeah. why? And it's so upsetting that to be in a situation where you have to explain it to somebody who doesn't get it. Sometimes I understand, but at this other sense, it's like. <sighs> I mean, some people take a little bit of time to get there, but as long as they're open and they're willing to listen, but some people are just not. They just have formed their opinion and they're set. They're done. I went on this trip, um, as I mentioned to you guys privately, about uh, I went on this RV trip. One of the people on the trip is uh, a retired white cop. Mm-hmm. And he would do this kind of dance a little bit in the sense of his words, of just trying to make jokes or see where I was at or where my comfort level or his comfort level is and saying some remark about the Black Lives Matter movement. And just very surface, you know, nothing big. It's just making a little joke here about Black Lives Matter and and me correcting him, like, you know. And and it was just very, so, it was just tiny little steps just to test. And then it blew up, actually, when we went home. And we're all together as one big group. And I think this uh, retired cop's um, son brought up the census for 2020. Uh, which is what the U.S. does is every 10 years they do a census where they get information or just data about the people who who live in the United States. And this information is used for various reasons. So the son brought it up about the census and this retired cop blew up, just snapped. And he started saying about the census, but all of a sudden he said, well, what about blue lives? What about blue lives? Don't they matter? And everyone in the room was just like, what? Like, and it was just really awkward, but it was like a firestorm of lightning bolts that just entered the room because he could finally felt that he could express that blue lives matter, blue lives matter. I'm like, blue lives is not real. Like, there is no blue lives out there. And I know he's talking about cops, but blue life, like, I was like, I was taken back. Everybody in the room was taken back that this is retired cop yelling blue lives matter in this room and just snapped. I think everyone in general in the U.S. is is on edge and i think it's just taking a toll on everyone i think mentally and spiritually at this point and what are we gonna do well i just think people forget to be empathetic you know i think that's they forget you guys were probably walking around with microaggressions the entire weekend you mentioned he made some jokes and your jar of aggressions were probably getting filled little by little with each dog turkey make. It fails for them to see that they can take that blue off at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's so spot on. You can throw that in a washer, wash it with whatever grime and dirt you picked up from that day, that 12-hour shift that you did, and you can go back to sleep. And if it's your day off, you don't have to wear that blue again. You can go in your regular jeans and a tee, run your errands, go to Costco, and you can choose to put it on or not put it on. That's how I see that part. And for us, 
for me, as a dark-skinned Asian, I don't have the luxury to do that. I think that says it in a couple, you know, it says it in so succinctly that they could take off that, that blue uniform. Woo! You know, I think this is a really good conversation that we had, and I feel like it was therapeutic, you know, to put it out there and to continue the conversation outside this podcast. Uh, but I think we should have just, you know, lighten up a little bit and learn something new. So that brings us to the word of the day. McCoy, so what is the word of the day? So the Filipino word of the day is pagkakaisa. Pagkakaisa. Is that, is that right? Oh my gosh. Pagkakaisa. Pa, pa, ka, isa. Is that correct? Well, you were missing one more syllable. What is it? It's pagkakaisa. Pa, pa, ka, isa. <laughs> that? All right. I think we need to move on. <laughs> we'll just leave it. <laughs> so it means unity. Uh, please use it in a sentence. What we need is pagkakaisa to fight social injustice. Ooh, I like that. Hey, D, can you say it for me? Because I just want to see. What? If you could say it. Pagkakaisa. Pagkakaisa. No? It's too ka. Kaka. Pagkakaisa. Pagkakaisa. <laughs> okay, that's three. Oh my God. That was okay. three. But we're gonna... <laughs> it's, it's funny because the root word is one, but he was adding extras. So it was like... <laughs> because I was that deep. I was just like, yeah, not one unity, but all unity for everyone. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to say that again. All right. And I think that concludes our podcast for this week. Uh, If you have thoughts, comments, or you want to continue this conversation elsewhere, let us know. McCoy, how can they share with us? They can get a hold of us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Gamchat Podcast. And you guys can email us at gamchatpodcast at gmail.com. And there you have it. And we'll catch you on the next one. (laughs) 